Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Eric, it is fall equinox. It is. Happy fall to you. Thank you. You and, too. Yeah, what a great season yeah. to take your dog for really, a walk. Really, it is a great season to take your dog for a walk. Not as hot. Yes. The northern and southern hemispheres are equally illuminated. Mm. Yes, which gives us the equal amount of day and night. And I thought that, you know, there's a lot out there uh, sort of in reflection about balance of dark and light, since that's sort of what we're experiencing literally. Uh, Balance of work and play, balance of giving and receiving, uh, balance of sort of our own inner darkness and light. Mm. And in honoring the equinox today, I'm balancing the conversation on the show between light and dark as well. All right. I'll start talking with Becky Bishop, who Are is... you going to tell us which guest is on the dark side and which <laughs> one's on the light side? No, or well, of we're course. We're going to let our listeners guess. They are. <laughs> of course, they're both on the light side. I um, see. I'll, I, I'll provide the dark side then over There here. you go. That sounds good. Uh, so I'll start uh, in the first part of the show talking with Becky Bishop with Reading with Rover. Uh, we all know that dogs are excellent listeners, well, reading with Rover pairs therapy dogs with children having difficulties learning to read. So the dog's non-judgmental, calming presence helps kids to relax and practice reading out loud. What a, you know, sort of dogs bringing light into maybe yeah. a darker experience for kids because that's going to be painful to In a have similar- challenges reading. Situa- situation to uh, the folks that bring dogs into the courtroom because right. they, they're calming uh, there as well. Yeah, so, we just yeah. Uh, talked with Courthouse Dogs last week, another really awesome organization. So first, Becky Bishop in Reading with Rover, and then in the second part of the show, I'm addressing uh, a question inspired by conversation on social media that I saw. Uh, what do I do if I see a homeless person abusing their dog? Mm. Um, actually, two separate people with two separate dog-human combos witnessed um, animal abuse, and they didn't. They were saying as they were posting about it, "What do I do? I mean, what can I right. do about this?" So, um, I thought, well, I know how to find out. So, I reached out to my friend Melissa, who works with Seattle Animal Shelter. And in the second half of the show, I'll be talking with Don Jordan, who's the executive director of Seattle Animal Shelter, who will help me answer this question so that you and I both know exactly what to do if you witness animal abuse. So in the first half of the show, it's sort of dogs bringing light to humans. And in the second half, it's humans bringing light to dogs who are living in darkness. Nice. Helping each other, bringing balance. That's what today is all about. So with that, I will wish a happy fall to Becky Bishop, who is on the line with us from just north of here. Becky is here talking to us about reading with Rover. Becky, welcome to the dog show. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So you guys do some awesome work, and I'm so excited to talk with you today. And your organization has been on my radar for years, and I'm just happy that I'm finally getting to share the wonderful work that you do with my audience and talk about Reading with Rover. So you, with with your work with Reading with Rover, you pair children and with 
therapy dogs who essentially help them learn how to read. Right. We do, we do a couple of things. Like, for example, I just left my, a meeting at Woodmore Elementary School where we, we actually, we were talking about, we, just, we first started the program there 16 years ago. Wow. And um, we are building the program back up because, you know, just attrition and dogs get old and die yeah. and we lose team members. So we're, we're, we're revamping um, the program there at Woodmore with fresh teams. And we just had our first meeting there at the school. It, it's, it's a lot of work. People don't realize the behind-the-scenes work, getting the, the children tested. And the teachers usually identify those children who can benefit the most um, from reading to a dog. Yeah. You know, although all kids think they could benefit and probably would benefit, but some need them more than others, the ones who struggle with reading or struggle with uh, shyness. Or We also work um, at Woodmore has a large population of, uh, disabled children, physically hand, uh, physically challenged children. So we work with those kids as well. Reading with Rover isn't really just about reading. That's why it's called Dream Team because it's dogs for reading, education, assistance, and more. Mm. And so at the school, we really do work with the animal assisted therapy with kids who get a benefit from that, who are pre-selected from children's. And then we have like the libraries on Saturdays and Redmond Town Center on Tuesday nights and. Uh, uh, we're at Crossroads in Bellevue on the other Tuesday nights, and we go there for fun. Any kid can come into those um, venues that just want to read to a dog and have that experience. Mm. So we have the uh, community reads that's open to the community, and then we have the reads in the in the Lake Washington and North Shore School District where we are actually set up in the school. Okay, because that's one of the questions that I had. I mean, when I imagine... Um, a dog sitting next to a child and the child reading to the dog. I mean, I instantly connect with how sweet and powerful that is. But I was I was curious to ask you, like, well, what does this actually look like? Is it a bunch of kids in a room with a bunch of dogs, or is it like a one-on-one kind of thing? You should come to Redmond Town Center sometime and see it, because that's just one big room with dogs on the floor and kids in a line, literally in a line, to read to those dogs. Oh, get man. Out. I think our biggest night, we had 11 teams on the floor, a team being a handler and a dog. Yeah. And I had um, 62 kids. Wow. And so I was knee-deep, and I had about <laughs> six kids per dog lined up, and then they rotate around the room and take turns to the dogs. It's all very organized. It goes very well. But at the school, um, usually, like when I go to the school on Thursdays, the same group of children will read to my dog for a couple weeks, sometimes mm sometimes a couple months. So you really get to know those kids. Mm-hmm. And then they're usually, uh, the teacher will usually rotate some other readers in there at some point. But the kids really get to know the dog, and the dog really gets to know those kids as well. Mm-hmm. So do the kids take turns in that situation? Yes, it's one-on-one reading okay. sessions at the school. Where, okay. And it, well, even in the, in the at Redmond Town Center, it's one-on-one, but you've got kids in the room usually you come in, and, and we have a nook area or a setup area that's defined for us. Mm-hmm. And that child will leave their desk and come and read to us. Or some schools have it set up where the children come to the library and meet their dog there Okay, for their reading time. It, every school can be set up slightly different. Um, Mr. Daly at Rose Hill, I love his school. I helped set up that school, too. Um, the kids come at they get a ticket. Like when you come to school that day, they'll have a yellow ticket or a red ticket or a green ticket. And on the ticket, it has the time 
that they are to leave to go read to their dog. And we're all set up in this pod, like a big pod area. Uh um, We're spread out, though, so those kids love it. And they don't, they don't feel the stress or the pressure of other kids hearing them struggle. Well, I think that's the thing, too. I mean, I can remember, um, I can remember back to when I was a kid, and I didn't have difficulty learning to read, but I can still just remember feeling like when you get called on to read out loud, you kind of get, oh, you know, like a little, yeah. ooh, everybody's watching. And that's not having a particular, you know, challenge with it and I know for sure both with adults who I know who either are dyslexic or you know otherwise had a hard time reading that it, it's it can be traumatizing for kids who get just feel embarrassed or who who well, are ashamed exactly. as a matter of fact one some of, one of the few studies that they've done Julie is they um, had blood pressure cuffs on these kids mm. and the kids that read to dogs their blood pressure stayed dramatically lower mm. than when the, they were not reading to a dog. Yeah. So reading to the dog has the same effect as when you pet the dog. It lowers their blood pressure yeah. and keeps them in a calmer state of mind. Cause, well, because obviously the dog is not going to judge them. Yeah. And, and, and the handlers are, I have to say the handlers are excellent, and they're trained to not interfere and not, we don't help them out at all unless the child asks us for help. Yeah. And even then, we usually include the dog. We were talking about that today. Like, for example, if if I come in and um, maybe this child is already on page 14 of a book, that and I'm just coming into this read, uh, and I haven't met this child yet, and he's on page 14 of the story, I might say to him, you know what, Diesel, this is a new story for him. You want to catch him up before mm-hmm. we start? Mm-hmm. And that he'd love to know what went on. <laughs> So he'll catch him up on the story, but that also helps us um, socialize that child, and, and then we also can see if their comprehensive skills are there, because some kids can be excellent readers, yeah. and they don't know a, a lick of what they just read. Right. Right? And so they got to be able to comprehend what they read, and so using the dog as a tool, as a vessel to communicate, too, is really helpful. Mm. Um, what's the age range of kids that you generally work with? Um, at Woodmore, the reading kids and the reading program, it's usually first and second graders. Um, we might get a few third graders in there. Okay. And then the, um, the, the kids who have um, the autistic kids and kids who have um, cerebral palsy and the kids who have physical challenges, all ages. Uh-huh. You know, there's no limit on the age group there because we're doing a different type of therapy with them. When I work with the autistic kids... Uh, you know, they're not very tactile, so we I, we really, like, we start with giving them a brush, and oh. they like to brush the dog. Uh-huh. And after brushing the dog, and that might actually lead to them petting the dog. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just a different way of working with them, you mm-hmm. know, but those kids could be any age. Yeah. We had, I worked with a little girl who had cerebral palsy, and she didn't like to do her stretches. And so I'd give her the dog brush and order, and I'd put my dog out just enough that she had to stretch. Right. To get the brush to his fur, and she loved that. Yeah. And she loved that. So we can we can use these wonderful dogs um, in other ways as well. But the reading age, we really like to get them young, like first and second grade. Okay. So let's take a break, and then when I... When we come back, Becky, I want to talk about the process of 
getting a dog and human, um, you know, sort of qualified and ready to do this work. And um, it looks like from your website, which is readingwithrover.org, that you have sort of an in-house program that you do to sort of uh, certify people, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, Because I know that there's going to be a lot of people inspired to really get involved. And uh, so let's go over that when we come back from break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're talking with Becky Bishop with Reading with Rover. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Hey, dog show fans. Does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit DogRadioShow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. Stay informed with news, traffic, and weather at the top of the hour, weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we are back talking with Becky Bishop and Reading with Rover. Their website is readingwithrover.org. 
Um, So check them out online. And we are going to talk now about what the process is to get involved with this, because you have such a high demand from schools, Becky, for this work, and you need teams. So you have definitely have room for people to come in and get involved and and get their dogs, you know, themselves and their dogs ready for this really wonderful work. People just must leave glowing after they, an experience like this. They yeah. love it. It's, uh, you almost feel selfish because it's like, should I be feeling this good? <laughs> you know, because, yeah. um, but it's just a wonderful, no, no, it's like anything. When you love your dog, it's just the best thing in the world. Yeah. When other people love your kid. Yeah. You know, we love to, as a mom, I mean, it just used to make my day when people brag about one of my kids. And yep. I'm just, it's the same thing when you have a dog. When being able to share that kind of love um, really helps. And like what we were just talking about previously, that our biggest problem is is um, we need teams. Mm-hmm. We need teams who can fulfill the need for these schools. So what is there to know of for people who are listening who think, this sounds awesome, I would love to do this, my dog loves kids, um, you know, what are you looking for? What what are we looking for in the dog, first of all? And just kind of give us all of that information. Well, the dog has to be a year old to um, to take their test. And as you know, I'm a dog trainer. So yep. I have a company called Puppy Manners. And my company, Puppy Manners, is one of the partners that uh, supports reading with Rover. Makes sense. So, yeah, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great match. Yeah. Um, so we actually even have a puppy therapy program called the Paprentis. And <laughs> the Paprentis project starts actually next month. And it's a three-month project where you have to be in training somewhere. You don't have to be in training with me. But we meet once a month, and we practice pet therapy situations, introducing the puppies like service dogs. You yeah. know, service dogs, man, they hit the road young. Yeah. Getting exposed to things and making it positive. Well, therapy dogs and puppies need that same type of exposure. So... Um, we meet in my training room once a month, and then we have field trips, and they wear their little training vest that says they're, they're training, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to get them used to wearing vests, and the people get ID. Because there's a, there's a responsibility when you're a pet um, therapy person. Part of our dream team is you have to be prepared and be organized. And so we want organized people who love their dogs, and once the dog is a year old, you can take the therapy test. And the therapy test is much easier than most people are aware of. Mm-hmm. If, if anybody's familiar with the canine good citizen test, mm-hmm. it's got those skills, you know, a sit, a down, a wait. Um, and then there's uh, the petting, some petting exercises where three people will come up and pet your dog at once, and the dog shouldn't jump or mouth us. And it's just a well-mannered dog. The, the dogs do not have to have achieved some higher level mm-hmm. of obedience. Yeah, so don't get scared off by the fact that there's exactly. a test involved. Don't get scared off. Yeah. You know, people see my dog sometimes and like, oh, my dog would. He's, he's well, he, first of all, he, he lives with a dog trainer. So I, I say never go by him. He's, <laughs> he's like the, just an exceptional dog to begin with, super calm disposition. But, um. Like we get some, I just did, a, is my dog a therapy dog with some doodles, you know? And, and these people were shocked. Then when I gave them, we have some scholarship money, and I gave them, over half of them got some scholarship to go to a therapy class with Heather Rush, who was also one of our team members. And she has a training 
a program called Flying Ace. Uh-huh. And she has therapy classes here. She does. She teaches the therapy classes, and then they come to me for the testing. Got it. And it just worked out really well, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I, I don't want people to be scared off because basically when they say, well, what does a therapy dog do? I go, any good, well-mannered dog can be a therapy dog. It's really the presence of the dog and that the dog has that kind of, um, you know. It is, if they have the temperament, yeah. teaching them the skills is easy. Yep. I can't, I can't make a dog, you know, I, I, if it's a nervous, shy dog, you know, yep. on, on the test, it, one of the questions on the test, does your dog seek and enjoy people? Yeah. If they do, that's probably going to be a good therapy dog. We, we even got some dogs that um, have some dog aggression, but they're fine because we don't we 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 keep our distance from other dogs they're not allowed to socialize with their leash on so right it's it's not really a problem for dogs that have a little bit of reactivity mm-hmm. and it's great for old dogs like you were saying your dog i think it breathes life into a new dog to give them a purpose and yeah they come into these places once or twice a week and they get so much attention just loves them yeah you know who wouldn't love that I know I was saying the, my little dachshund, Leia, is just has always, her whole life, has loved kids. She sees a kid and she, oh, just wants to go over. Yeah. And, and she's, you know, we don't have enough small dogs. People always think, too, they, they think, oh, you need a big dog because all the pictures are big dogs. But in fairness, we have more big dogs because people with big dogs tend to take the training, I think, a little more seriously. Yeah. Because um, little dogs you know, can get away with little things. They, it, they don't annoy us as much as a big dog would, but if if a small dog would be trained, we'd lo- we love to have them because we do have some kids, a lot of kids at Redmond Town Center, I think probably 25% of the kids that come up there, their parents bring them because they have a fear of dogs. Mm. And they don't even know why their kid is scared of dogs. They, they didn't even have a bad experience. They just got it in their head. Yeah, that they're unpredictable, and you know, I think it, it, I think children can be like puppies. If something happened when they were in that fear state, yeah, it could have been just you know the nice boxer next door jumped on him innocently, right? But they get it, they get it stuck in their head that they're scared to death. So it's so nice for those kids to come in, and I usually start them off with a little dog, if I have one. You know, we have a few, but not enough. Yeah. So how do people go about like? So would they go to the website readingwithrover.org? And then, you, you know, how did... with rover.org, and, you you know, we have a, um, one of the links, it says volunteer, you know, dream team. And so you click on dream team, and from there it, it has, here's the steps, right? You, you need to pass your reading with Rover test, of course. Right. And don't so be scared off by the test. If you've got a puppy, you know, you could you could get into training somewhere. You know, we if you're in my area, I'd love to have you come to Puppy Manners mm-hmm. um, and get into our programs. And once you've passed your test, you then have to meet the protocol. So passing the test is one piece of it. And, and the reason for that is um, we, you have six months to meet our protocol. After you pass your test, you can start doing your visits, but they are all shadowed and mentored visits. So you have to have ten shadowed visits where we, we set it up. You, I would invite you up to Redmond Town Center, for example, and you could be a greeter dog. Mm-hmm. And then once all the kids are in, I let them come in. But we have to do that because we don't have any children on the test. It's not right. like people are going to cough up their kids as bait. Right, I know, huh? No, yeah, that doesn't go well when I say, can I borrow your child because yeah. we're testing these dogs today? Yeah. <laughs> we want to see if they're good with kids, you know? Yeah. And so we need to see if they're good with kids, and it has to be 
shadowed. And so we have a great, um, that's why I think like reading with rover dogs are kind of the Eagle Scouts of dogs because a lot of uh, therapy organizations, they don't test them on kids. They don't have any protocol. You just get your badge and you go. But we have to see that the dog does okay with children. And they almost always do. I've had very few. I could think of maybe four over the last 16 years that did not make it through the protocol because they were the dogs were just too nervous. Mm-hmm. The, the dog gets a vote, you know. Yeah, right. And if their temperament, they may have done great on the test, which is just adults. Yeah. But when they get a crowd of kids and the noise uh, from a school or the noise from the children um, makes them nervous and yeah. they become reactive. So they, they might not, they might be a good fit for something else, visiting right. nursing homes or working with adults, but they're not right. always uh, a good fit for children, but that's rare. So once you've met the 10 hours of shadowing, which we give you six months to do, uh-huh. then you get your badge for you and your dog. Yeah. And that badge is good for two years. Okay. And after two years goes by, you need to come back and retest, which is usually pretty easy because you've already taken the test once and you've been volunteering for two years and your dog is now well-behaved because you're volunteering. And right. so basically that's the one of the great things about volunteering is it makes our dogs stay trained. Right. Because you don't want to go in there with the vest on and, you know, have your dog embarrass you. Right. It's supposed to be trained. And so um, then we just retest you, and um, there's, a, there's a small fee. It's $75, but that $75 is basically your membership fee that covers um, some of our expenses. One of them are insurance. So you'll yeah. have $2 million worth of insurance that covers you mm. while you're volunteering. Mm-hmm. So people can go, if they're interested in getting involved, go to readingwithrover.org and then click on volunteer and then click on the drop-down dream, yeah, the dream team. team. And then it and says... they can read the protocol and then they can email us, info at readingwithrover.org. Okay. And we usually start with where do you live and then we, re- we usually try to get you on this journey by setting you up with the right people. Mm-hmm. So someone within the team who is a Reading with Rover evaluator. So people to arrange to have the dog tested, just email info at readingwithrover.org. Right. And, and like then, we're really wanting teams in Seattle. I have yeah. a need in Seattle, and I don't have a lot of teams there. Okay. And so we're trying to build um, teams in Seattle. A perfect example is I just got a, an email from a nice girl that she works at Amazon. Uh-huh. And... Um, she took a therapy course somewhere else, but she finds it impossible. She cannot find an evaluator to test her. Mm. And so I said, I'll test you <laughs> if you'll join our group. Yeah. And so um, I just sent her the paperwork, and she goes, oh, my gosh, it's so easy. Yeah. And I sent her the paperwork, and she's going to test with us, and she thinks she can meet our protocol. And she's in Seattle, which I love, Yeah. and a cute little French bulldog. And um, that was just, she just happened to send me an email Um wondering about therapy in general and then I I pointed her to our website and she was oh my god that's exactly what I want to do cool yeah so is there a place where people like when you respond to somebody's email if they email you info at readingwithrover.org then will you reply with what all is involved so people know how to prepare for the test yeah and usually what I do what usually happens like even today we have a gal that wants to do reading with rover and um, she just moved here from California and seems to have a nice little Havanese dog. Uh-huh. And I'll say, you know what, why don't you come over here and it's just free. Well, let's just do a meet and greet because they say the dog is trained, but you know how right. it is, Julie. Right. 
sometimes they're not. Right. <laughs> so they get here and it's like, well, hmm, got a ways to go. Yeah. I'll usually recommend a training class with me or Katie Morrell, one of the trainers that we partner with. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the dog is ready for therapy class. The evaluation really is to see, is this dog ready to go into a therapy class? Yeah. The therapy class with Heather Rush is great because um, you get to practice the test. You practice the skills on the test. Mm-hmm. And she shows you how to successfully get through the skills and the temperament part of the test because it does involve some role play on your end. Uh-huh. And so um, a therapy class can really just help you feel more confident, just like you would if you were taking a canine good citizen test. You know what I mean? Yep. You're going to feel more confident because you've practiced in therapy class. Right. And so after you've taken that therapy class, and they meet just usually once a week, I think her class is on Thursday night, this session, mm-hmm. um, then they book their test with me or one of my other evaluators, and we test them. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And so, you know, there is some expense. There's there's some expense. But, you know, if, if we if we meet your dog and we think your dog would be a really good therapy dog, and, and it, it you know, honestly, if you're having some sort of, you're in financial straits or, you know, you, you've been laid off, we have some scholarship available, mm-hmm. money to help people get through the process. Cool. You know, and, and that's for people who, who need the help. Nice. Well, it's just such, you know, you describe it and like I can, I've not witnessed it, but I feel like I can just imagine how, you know, the the dogs and the kids and all of the different settings that you do this in and all of the different. There's a great video on YouTube. If you look up a Regency reading with Rover, the Regency health insurance company made a really cute video. Uh Uh-huh. Um, they were looking to make a video about how uh, animals affect our health. Uh-huh. And so if you go to YouTube, you can see a cute video um, of Reading with Rover there. Cool. Yeah. Well, Reading with Rover has a, a high demand of, of schools and facilities who are looking for dogs. So there's lots of opportunity, lots of room for people to get involved. So if you're Thinking that this sounds like something that you would like to do and something that you think your dog would like to do, definitely get in touch. You can just go to readingwithrover.org or send an email to info at readingwithrover.org and start the process to see if, um, you know, you and your dog would be a good fit for the program. It just sounds like such a, a wonderful thing to do. And like you said, you just feel like you feel like a million bucks when you walk out of there after sort yeah, of witnessing you do. that. And, and, and you get invited. They want you back. And if I could add, Julie, too, that a lot of our dogs, I'm really proud that a lot of our dogs are actually duly registered as Hope Crisis Dogs as well. Oh, cool. And so we've gone to Oso and we've gone to the Marisville shootings uh-huh. and we at Seattle Pacific University when they had that shooting. Uh-huh. Um, we get called. Yeah. And so it's really, it's really great to be able to help um, as awful as those circumstances are, yeah. you know, we don't want those circumstances, but it's so nice that they can call on our dog yeah. um, to be able to soothe them during that crisis. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful work. I talked with Hope Animal Assisted Crisis Response a year or two ago, and um, it is just amazing work. There's so much awesome stuff going on with dogs in the world like we reading with Rover and Becky, I thank you so much for your time today and sharing your organization. And I hope you guys get a lot of response from the area of people who want to get involved because it's That'd really be awesome work. Thank you, Julie, for thinking of us. Yeah, and, of course. Um, I hope I see you out there, you and your little doxy. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. All right. Thanks.
Okay, so awesome talk. If you missed any part of that interview with Becky Bishop and reading with Rover, you can find it archived on our website, on iTunes as a free audio podcast, and also on our Facebook page. Our homepage is dogradioshow.com, and you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'm going to be talking with Don Jordan. We're going to be switching gears. Don is the executive director of Seattle Animal Shelter, and we're going to be answering a question that I saw asked more than I would like to see, but it is a question that needs to be answered. What do I do if I see an animal being abused by a homeless person? And really, in general, also, of course, we won't be um, focusing on just people who who are without homes. Um, but that was something that I saw. Um, two of my friends witnessed two separate incidences, and they posted about it in the same week. And I was like, okay, I need to address this on the show. So I reached out to our friends at Seattle Animal Shelter, and we'll be back with Don Jordan in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Tell me the story This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to best practitioner, Dr. Nels Rasmussen, we cover the world of animals. This week, September 27th, it's an encore presentation of Animal World. Tune in to hear the latest Vet Sunday with Dr. Doug Yearout from All Animal Alternative Medicine Clinic in Marysville. Dr. Doug's my favorite holistic vet, treats pretty much anything in an animal suit, and gives great advice. Get to know him here on Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, 
A-Y-R-E dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. News, traffic, and weather? Now you can get your information fixed weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back now, switching gears from the first half of the show. And if you've missed any of this show or any of our almost 350 episodes, you can find them all online, either on our website, dogradioshow.com. You can go to iTunes and download us for free as a free audio podcast. And you can also go to our Facebook page, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we post our interviews directly to our page as well. Really easy to listen from there. So I think it was maybe a month, four to six weeks ago, that I was on Facebook and I saw a post from um, a friend and colleague, actually, who's who works with dogs. And... Um, she lives up north. I think this was witnessed in Monroe. And there's uh, there's a homeless man who lives up there and who was um, kicking his dog who he used to pull his carts of his possessions. And he also had two of the dog's puppies in his possession as well. Um, and she posted about this. And it was... Um, you know, she actually knew what to do and uh, followed through, and they were able to um, resolve resolve the problem and get the dog away from the man. But um, this was something that I guess had been going on for years, and it took somebody finally saying something for the authorities to be able to do anything. And I know that I'll be talking about this with our guests, our guest now, who is Don Jordan the executive director of Seattle Animal Shelter. Don, welcome to The Dog Show. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, so I had I saw this post, and then like within the same week, a friend of mine um, said that she was, uh, she's a DJ and um, in Seattle and was walking on Capitol Hill and then witnessed another abusive event by a different person and his dog, and she, her, her post was, I don't know what to do about, you know, what do I do when I see this? I don't know how to help this dog. And I was just like, okay, loud and clear. I need to reach out. So I reached out to Melissa with Seattle Animal Shelter, who connected me with you. And I thought, let's have you guys on and let's talk about what can people do to help these animals who can't help themselves. So what do you, um, you know, recommend for people? What are the different, uh, you know, um, ways that or like the proper avenue for people to go to try to to help these animals? Well, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, this is still one of the major societal social issues that, uh, you know, we're seeing in the community that, you know, that animal shelters, humane societies, uh, you know, that we're still continuing to deal with today. And in all honesty, you know, humans have to be the voice for our four-legged friends. Yeah. You know, um, you, you've got to speak up. And, and so it starts with you as an individual. 
You know, if you see something, say something. Don't let the animals be in silent misery. Mm-hmm. It's not right. So when you say say something, who do you say something to? Well, you know, to start out, I mean, it depends on your comfort level. It depends on exactly what's going on. And, you know, for instance, you know, we see a lot of neglect. You know, we see a lot of animals that are being left outside. They're chained in the backyard. They've got limited access to, you know, some, you know, food, water, shelter. I mean, the real basics that, you know, in all honesty, are not even really the basics. They're just right, right operating within the law. Right. You know, and, and you, you know, you've got to start with, with the dog owner. You know, give them that peer pressure. See if you can affect change at your level. Mm-hmm. If you can't, call your local animal control agency. Call the Seattle Animal Shelter and report what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be kept anonymous to a certain point. Yeah. But initially, you can be held you know, you can be kept anonymous and, you know, in terms of reporting what you're seeing. And we will send out an officer to go out and check out the situation and see if we can affect change in the life of that animal. So what if it's a situation where the person is homeless and they're on a street corner and, you know, you're witnessing something happening? Um, what? How does somebody, I mean, is it helpful to try to take a video or pictures or something like that and then report it? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, if it's a transient population, which, you know, we do deal with quite frequently in a situation like this where, you know, they may not have a home per se, but if you can take some photos, if you can take, uh, you know, the video and, you know, present that to our officer, that helps us kind of establish a, a baseline as to, you know, what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um you know, obviously, particularly in the case of homeless people where there may be other, you know, emotional, psychological issues going on, you know, we, we really want to work with that person and, and educate them about what's going on in, in, in their lives and in the lives of the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly where it may be a situation where an animal is in need of medical attention. Right. You know, there is the Doney Clinic in Seattle, so, you know, which provides access to free veterinary care for low income for homeless for elderly or just people who are just in financial distress. What is that uh, called? What did you say that it's was? It's called the the Doney Clinic. D O N E Y. Okay. And um you know Dr. Stan Coe um actually had a lot of involvement in starting that clinic uh, many many years ago. So if you're to google it, you can actually find out a little bit more about that, you know, the location and and uh, you know, exactly when it is once a month. But there are resources out there so that, you know, you can step forward as a as a private citizen and, you know, help connect those resources with, with folks who may need medical attention for their animal. Right. But, you know, in, in terms of the other more extreme cases where we're seeing active animal abuse, yep. somebody kicking their animal, they're physically harming it, yep. you need to call the Seattle Animal Shelter or your local animal control authority, and in some cases, your local sheriff or police department, immediately. Yep. You know, these are the more active cases where, um, you know, we need to intervene. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're seeing animal abuse and it's in a family situation, there's oftentimes other things going on with potential domestic violence, spousal abuse, um, child neglect. 
um, you know, there is a definite link between animal abuse and, you know, abuse to human beings. Yeah, I know. And I don't know if there's any any new developments on this, but, um, you know, I've I've felt frustrated in the past because I feel like, you know, the penalties for animal abuse are not as high as, uh, you know, child abuse. But there is such a common link between abuse towards animals and abuse towards um, children or domestic violence that um, I wish that animal abuse was taken more seriously because somebody who does something like that to an animal is a problem. You know, absolutely. There are you know, numerous studies out there that have gone on, gone back for decades about the link between domestic violence and and, uh, and animal abuse. And mm-hmm. you know, although you know, animal control agencies are not what they call mandatory reporters. Um, when we do see situations like this, we certainly do our very best to try to bring forward resources into a family um, or to alert the authorities to what we may see or what's being reported to us because mm-hmm. again you know um your your local animal shelter is trying to be the eyes and ears um to affect change you know for an animal but oftentimes we're also affecting change for uh, a family or children mm-hmm. in an abusive situation yeah or other animals and you mentioned a, a local recent case that was sort of a big um a big deal in your world and that it was entirely a result of, um, you know, was a great example of how important it is to report something if you see something that does not look right to report it, which because if, if, if it's not reported, if you guys don't know about it, you can't help. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, within the last uh, four to six weeks, we did have a situation where we had to intervene uh, on behalf of about 40 to 50 animals and the reason that we were notified was that there was a service worker involved in the um, in performing some service at the property, and he saw something that just wasn't right. Yeah, it was pretty clear that uh, that there was some animal abuse going on there. And um, had he not reported it to us, we would simply not have known. Mm-hmm. And by you know somebody as you know as simple as making a phone call. They were able to invoke, you know, the resources that are available, and we were able to intercede and um, and rescue these animals, uh, get them out of, a, of an abusive situation. Sounds like it was, a, was it a hoarding situation? Well, we don't know. We yeah. don't know, and, and it's kind of a situation where I can't elaborate much, but there were a lot of animals living in pretty pretty sad conditions, and mm. and so we were able to to intervene and, and get those animals out of that situation. Yeah. And although we're still continuing to investigate it and, mm. and look into the matter further, mm-hmm. the, the point is is that it just takes one person yeah. to see one thing that, you know, can affect the lives of a lot of animals. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to help. And that's, um, that's why I just want to take the opportunity to... Um, you know, say, and I've said this before over the years, how important it is to license your pet because though that helps to fund the so, you know, important, important, necessary work that you do to support the animals of the community, whether it's your own pet that's 
gone missing or, you know, whether you need it directly or to support the animals who are benefiting from the work of your officers and your efforts. Absolutely. And I'm glad you you brought that up. You know, pet licensing not only is the best life insurance you can you can buy for your dog or your cat. Um, it's the right thing to do because it does support, it directly supports the life-saving work of the Seattle Animal Shelter. Yep. A lot of people are simply not aware of that. You know, that, uh, you know they think, well, what do I get for my license? Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, the next time you're in a situation where you, you or a friend or a family member may have been bitten by an aggressive dog and you need our resources to come out and help, yeah. I'll tell you what, the that pet license um, is a tremendous value for you as a as a citizen and a pet owner, but again, it directly supports the life-saving work of your local shelter. Mm-hmm. And in some cities and towns, animal control is housed through the police department. That's so, correct. So That's it, correct. There are different business models out there. Yeah. Um, you know, some are under the parks department, some are under health department, some are standalone departments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the case of uh, Seattle, we happen to be a division within a large department, mm-hmm. and um, and the business model works. You know, we are able to really provide tremendous value to the citizens of Seattle. Um, you know, for for the for the amount of funding that we get compared to the to the services that we provide. And so Seattle, citizens of Seattle should very, feel very proud of what the Seattle Animal Shelter does, not only for people, but for people and animals in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a live release rate over 90%. Mm. You know, that qualifies us as a no-kill shelter, mm. you know, according to certain standards out there nationally. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it wasn't always that way when I started 25 years ago. Yeah. So you started and, as a humane law enforcement, animal law. What is, I don't know. It's not animal humane, control. It's, yeah, humane law enforcement officer. You know, we worked okay. really hard at getting the term control out of out of the uh, you know out of the terminology for what we do because yeah, yes, we are about controlling pet overpopulation and such, but we're really about providing humane services. Yeah. For animals, and and really affecting a positive outcome for people and animals in the community. You know, I, I mean, I could tell you um, when I was a field officer back in the early '90s. You know, I, I came across somebody who was living next door to a barking dog for 15 years. Mm. They hadn't gotten a good night's sleep in 15 years until I was able to intervene, and it was so heartwarming to get a phone call um, the following night. This is Don. You don't know what it is you've done for our family. You know, we had the first good night's sleep in 15 years. That is life-changing for people. And probably for the dog, too, because if a dog is out there barking so incessantly, there's probably something wrong. It's neglected or it's, you know, something like that. Yeah, it, it, it's neglected. It's bored. It's yeah. It's um, not receiving, you know, the, the proper exercise. And, and um, you know, and, and it's so unfortunate that people still acquire dogs to simply chain them up in their yard, put them in an outdoor pen. You know, that is just wrong. That is just so wrong. You know, if you're going to acquire an animal, make it part of your family. It's got to be part of your family unit. Yeah. Treat it like a child. Yeah. You know, treat it as though it is one of your family members because they are. 
they have feelings. Yeah. You know, they 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 listen to you. They know. You know, animals are very smart and do the right thing. You know, treat them like they're your family. Don't don't just tie them up outside so they can live in misery out in the rain and the cold. Yeah, I never really understood why would somebody get. I mean, I think that the listeners of this show, I'm pretty confident, treat their dogs like family. <laughs> um, but I never understood, you know, why would somebody get a dog to just have them be out back barking constantly? Like, does it not bother them? You know, it's I like, think some people get immune to it. Yeah. You know, some people do it for protection. They want to consider it to be in a kind of a, not an alarm clock, but kind of a little security system for the yard but you know there's mm. other ways you can accomplish that don't don't acquire a dog or yeah. another animal to do that um you know you get an animal because it enhances the quality of life yeah. for you and your family i mean there are so many studies out there that show that people who have animals live longer they're happier they have their, their stress is reduced their blood pressure is down um there're just so many physical attributes and emotional attributes of owning an animal as part of your family. Yeah. And putting the time and energy into have into meeting the animal's needs too. And, um, you know, I work a lot with people, my expertise is in training and behavior. And a lot of times it's people are just needing to know because they've never had a dog before or, you know, just adopted a dog and maybe the dog's had kind of a rough past. You know, what, what do we need to do to meet this animal's needs to either work them through what they need to be worked through or to just have them be healthy and balanced. Um, so yeah, so you guys are your website. If you go to www.seattle.gov slash animal shelter, and that will bring you to Seattle animal shelters website and you can uh, renew your purchase or renew your pet's license, which as we talked about is important to do to help uh, fund these humane law enforcement officers to do their job if you live in Seattle. And if you live elsewhere, um, if your pet is not licensed or or your license is expired, to renew the license because it's going to support the efforts of the program that you have in your city locally. And it's really important. When you need it, you need it. So, um, Absolutely. It's, it's just it's one of the most easy easiest ways you can go about supporting and being a part of cause supporting animal welfare in your community yeah and i think the moral of this interview don is that if you see something to speak up to get in touch with your local authorities um, take pictures take video if you can um, and just speak up and be a voice for these animals who you know can't speak for themselves so absolutely um, if you see something say something yeah be a part of of something bigger than yourself. Yep. You know, be a part of helping to improve the lives of not only animals, but people within your community. Yeah. Well, Don, thanks so much. Thanks so much for your time today. We're out of time, uh, but thanks for talking with us and educating us. Uh, We'll be back next Wednesday, live at 2. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. (laughs) 